were only supposed to be off next Wednesday, but now Basha has informed us that they also need the entire campus for the 25th. So we will not be having Bible study again until February the 1st. So we need to make sure that we get the word out. The 18th and the 25th, we will not meet here. Uh, if you try to get on the ch- uh, school campus those two Wednesdays, I'm hearing that it's, you know, you'll know something's up. You'll go in and the whole parking lot's going to be filled both Wednesdays. So um, we'll come back on the February the 1st, the first Wednesday of February. And like I said, we'll come back like gangbusters. I'm not going to let uh, this slow down our momentum. Uh, there's just so many things happening. I, I wish I, and I don't know all the things that are happening, but uh, even after last Sunday, uh, I guess the message really uh, spoke to a lot of people, and I, I had a lot of feedback on Sunday afternoon, even into Monday, and just a lot of good things are happening. Um, I really believe that God has given me a word to share with our leadership, and I have begun to share that with our leaders, and we're going to continue to do that. Uh, as we meet with them, and then we're going to be sharing things with the entire church. But this is going to be, I believe, a momentous year and a defining year in our church's history. And it's way beyond just the transition from Basha to, to our building over on Greenfield and Queen Creek. All right. Second um, Timothy, chapter 2. Um, Last week, we were reminded of what Paul was enduring. And he was trying to encourage Timothy with his endurance of his hardship and of his imprisonment as suffering as a criminal. He talks about that in chapter 2, verse 9. For which I suffer hardship to the point of imprisonment as a criminal. And I'm enduring this. Okay? And so he's, he's informing Timothy to try to inspire and motivate Timothy to endure. Because again, Timothy is in a bad way right now. He wants to give up. He wants to quit. He wants to throw in the towel. He doesn't want to continue to have to, to go through the things he's going through to, to serve the Lord and to minister and to put himself out there. And, and maybe he's, he's just tired. He's fed up. He's discouraged. He's in despair and all of these things. And, and so Paul is writing this letter to encourage this young man. Tonight I want to go back to this very same passage because God gave me sort of further things that I want to share with you tonight because in a sense what Paul has done is tell us what he's dealing with, but now I want to show us why he's able to deal with it. Why is Paul able to to deal with the circumstances and the adversity that he finds himself in? Because let's remember something here. Here is a man who was probably the chief preacher of the gospel at this time in history. And yet, he is in prison, he is chained, and he's going to die very soon. He knows, I think, probably through the revelation of the Spirit, that he's not going to get out of prison this time, unlike other times. And he's going to be martyred for his faith. And yet, there is this victorious tone in Paul here. This is a letter of of inspiration and motivation to this young man. How can Paul be facing what he's facing and facing the adversity that he's facing and facing what you and I might think, just like, you know, 
How can I complain about two Wednesdays off at Basha when, when this man was locked in a prison cell? You know, his ministry certainly would have looked much more limited than what he would have liked. But he goes on to say, but the word of God is not imprisoned in any way. And God has his reasons and God has his purposes for all of this. How could Paul face these things the way he did? How can you and I face adversity in our life the same way that Paul did? How can we be victorious even when it seems like maybe the enemy is winning and our circumstances are against us? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 2.8. And here's the, here's the phrase I want to lock into for the first part of this tonight. Raised from the dead. See, for Paul, the reality of the resurrection was not just an historical fact that proved that Jesus was the Son of God. Well, let's remember something too. Jesus was the only leader of any world movement or world religion who's ever claimed to be able to raise himself from the dead. No, no other leader ever said, I'm going to raise myself from the dead. I'm coming back from the dead. No one ever claimed that. Only Jesus ever claimed that he could do it and then did it. But for Paul, it was even beyond that. And that's what Paul even wants to instill in Timothy and he wants to instill in us. Is that the resurrection, that the reality of Jesus' resurrection, conquering death and all that, has got to become a transforming reality in our lives that literally affects our everyday life. It affects our perspective on things. It affects our outlook. In effect, it reorients everything that we go through, including adversity and trials. That how can you and I, if the resurrection has truly become a reality in my life, then like Paul, how can I allow circumstances to get the best of me? How can I be a victim in any way when I know that through Jesus' resurrection, I also participate in that, you participate in that if you believe in Jesus, and that nothing can really conquer us. It's only when we allow things to get the best of us and allow things to overcome us and allow things. But in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, nothing should overcome us. Because we are victors through Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors. And Paul took the reality of that and said, it doesn't matter what man does to me and what my circumstances are and what trials I go through. I'm still victorious. Because this is all part of God's plan. And so he didn't look at it as some kind of, you know, negative thing. And he didn't look at himself as a victim of circumstances. He still looked at himself as, even in suffering, even in going through all that he went through. Again, let's be reminded. Prison. Chained getting ready to give his own life up for the faith, and yet he wasn't sitting there bemoaning the whole thing. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ had become a transformational reality in his life that literally reoriented everything. It gave him a new perspective. Every day he woke up, whatever he dealt with, it changed the way he looked at everything. And that's what he wants to 
get across to Timothy as well. That Timothy, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. We now participate in His resurrection. We have a resurrection to look forward to. And there's nothing, no imprisonment, no chains. Nothing that's going to overcome me. I'm in Christ. And therefore, I am more than a conqueror. Now you'll notice again too, last week, we saw there in verse 10, that Paul says, because of the transformational reality of the resurrection in his life, I endure all things for the sake of those chosen by God. And he's talking here again, as we said last week, to believers, not to non-believers. That phrase is never used of unbelievers or those who have yet to come to faith in Christ. It is always used in the New Testament to describe believers. Paul's saying, I'm going through all of this for my brothers and sisters in Christ who have yet to obtain, or so that they may obtain salvation. You say again, and I, I'm just going to point this out, because some of you maybe that weren't here last week go, well, wait a minute. Aren't the saved already saved? How are they then still having to obtain salvation? Because again, salvation is more than just that moment you and I accept Christ as our Savior and place our faith in Him. Salvation is sanctification as well. It's becoming more like Christ. And what Paul here is talking about is, I'm going through all this so that all that God wants to do in our lives, all the potential that He placed within us can truly come out and we can, we can find the fulfillment of our salvation. We can experience the completeness of our salvation. We can, we can enjoy the consummation of all that God had for us in our salvation, if you will. You see, when you and I allow the resurrection of Jesus Christ to become a transformational reality in our life, we stop looking in when bad things happen and we continue to look outward. Because let's face it, humanly speaking, isn't that always what normally happens without the transformational truth of, of God in our life? That when some suffering or bad circumstance or negative circumstance or trial comes into our life, automatically we could turn inward and become that victim and become the, oh, woe is me and why me and all of these things. That, that's the normal human response and reaction when bad things happen. But Paul here is giving us a model. He's saying when the resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes real in our life, and we realize that we participate in that and who we are in Christ. And when His truth literally settles into our life and reorients our life and our perspective on everything, then I don't automatically turn in when bad things happen. I continue to turn out. And I face things, no matter what they are, even if they're a prison, even if they're chains, even if they're my martyrdom, I face them going like... And, and I God... How are you going to use what you're allowing me to go through to somehow encourage other believers and to stir them and to motivate them and to inspire them? That's the mindset, see? That's the mindset. I mean, let's, let's just, let's be really real here tonight. Let's, let's be very practical. It'd be like what Paul here is saying would, would translate this way to a Christian today. That a Christian goes into a doctor's office after tests had been run. And the doctor tells them something that none of us want to hear. 
you have terminal cancer. See, for Paul, Paul would say, okay, yeah, that's bad. But Paul would say, just as he did in his time, facing the thing that he was getting ready to face, God, how are you going to use me as I face this as a victor and not as a victim? How are you going to use this so that I can inspire, motivate, encourage other believers to live for you as well? That was Paul. I'm doing this, Paul said, so that for the sake of those chosen by God. I'm enduring. I'm enduring for others because others are watching. Christians are watching how I'm handling this. See, that, that's something that, again, Paul wants us to... That's how he could do this. Because he always realized that whatever he went through, especially the negative circumstances, that if he dealt with it as Christ would want him to, God not only could use it in his life, but God could use it in so many other people's lives as well. I mean, stop and think even in your life, maybe, of another Christian that you know of pretty quickly, you you can bring them to mind, who was dealt a tough deck of cards, a a tough blow, a a tough situation. And yet, instead of tanking and and maybe, you know, getting bitter and, and, and drifting away from God or whatever, maybe they accepted the grace of God like Paul and maybe they rose to the occasion and, and, you remember them. They inspired you. They, they, it was like, wow, look at how they're handling this, you see. I had that in my own life, on and off. My, my father was in and out of work all the time, laid off all the time. And I felt like he handled that really well, you know? could have easily gotten discouraged many times. But as best as he could, he woke up every day and he wanted to be a good example. He wanted to show people that Christ can truly make a difference even when things aren't going, in fact, especially when things aren't going right in my life. And that's Paul. I endure all things for the sake of those chosen by God. God, how can you... That's why later on Paul said, I don't care whether it's I live or whether I die, I want Christ to be magnified in my body, Paul said. I just want people to see Jesus in me at all times. When things are going good, but especially when things aren't going good for me. I want them to see the difference in the reality that Jesus has made in my life and the fact that the resurrection is not just an historical fact that I've stored up here in my head. It is literally something that affects me every day of my life and it wakes me up differently. It helps me to navigate every day differently. It helps me to go to sleep every night differently because I believe in the resurrection of Christ and I know I'm a participant in it every day of my life. That's Paul. That's Paul. And then he goes on in verse 11 to say this. He says, This saying that I'm about to give you is trustworthy. 
And you'll notice, at least in the Net Bible, and most Bibles probably this way, that the next three verses are sort of offset. And that's again because this, these next three verses were probably some type of chorus or early church worship song. It was something that they recited, if you will, and sung in the early church. And it was noted that way, even back then. And the point I want to make is this. He's already obviously described the reality of the resurrection and how it's transformed his life, his perspective, his attitude, and everything. But now he's going to go back and say, and I've got to get to a place where I realize that the message of God, the gospel that he's given to us, is trustworthy. It's absolutely reliable. It's dependable. I can count on it. I can take it to the bank. I can base my life on it. I can base my eternity on it. God is trustworthy. And everything that God has ever revealed to us, everything that God has ever said to us, is trustworthy. And that's again why Paul could so rest, if you will, on the Word of God. Because it wasn't just... It wasn't just information. It actually got to a place with Paul where it was something he literally could entrust himself to every day. Because he knew that if God said it, I could trust it. I could totally rely on it. I could totally rest in it. I could totally depend on it. Because everything God has said is trustworthy. And we all need to be reminded of that. And that's why then Paul's going to start reminding Timothy about the things that we can count on the things that we know for sure because we live in a world where there's not a lot we can know for sure. There really isn't. There's not a lot of stability and security in our world today. There's not a lot we can count on. So for you and I as Christians to know that, oh my goodness, we've got a God that we can count on because of his character, he'll never change. We can count on God and then we have His Word. And we know that we can count on it. You see, I can literally rest my entire being in the Word of God and I know if I trust God and I trust what God said, then it's going to go well with me. I mean, even to the point where, like Paul, even if they, some human being takes my life because I love Jesus. Paul said, I'm not a victim. That's the way God wanted me to go out. And God wanted me to go out that way and He wanted me to be used so I can inspire and motivate others. That it doesn't matter even if they kill my body. I'm resurrected. I'm with Jesus. As Paul said to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. They haven't gotten me. They haven't taken anything from me. Everything that is most valuable, none of them can take from us.
And so every day, let's be reminded that as believers of Jesus Christ and believers in Jesus Christ and followers of Jesus Christ, we have what is absolutely reliable and trustworthy and dependable sitting right there in our hands every day. And hopefully also in our minds and our memories and our hearts, we have what we can rest in every day because God has said it. And if God says it, it's going to happen exactly like God said. So Paul says, and notice all the ifs in verse 11, 12, and 13 describe an action of a believer. Because Paul is addressing believers here. And he's simply saying, if you as a believer take this action, then you can count on this. Because what I'm selling you is trustworthy. So he said, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If I die with Christ... Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you and I accept Christ as our Savior, we also identify ourselves with Christ in his death. That's baptism. That's why we place people in the water, underneath the water. It is symbolic of, of dying with Christ in his death, but then coming up out of the water and being raised to newness of life. And Paul says, if we died with him, we will live with him and we will live forever with him and nothing can ever really kill us. Death is simply an entrance into his presence. And the sting of death has been taken by Christ and the fear of death has been taken by Christ. We live, we never die again. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of life. You believe in me, you will live even if you die. Over and over and over again, the trustworthy promises of God. Know tonight, my friends, that if you have died and identified yourself with Jesus Christ, you will live and nothing can ever kill you. And you will never be separated from Christ because nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. If we endure, and this was a big one with Timothy. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. Timothy, don't stop enduring. Don't stop persevering. There's there's the opportunity to rule and reign with Christ for those who endure, those who overcome, those who are victors. It is the reward for those who endure. God promises us that. In in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation, when when Jesus is talking to the seven churches, He says over and over again, to the overcomer, I will grant this and that. And talking about the rewards of those who endure and overcome. And so Paul says to Timothy, don't throw in the towel, Timothy. If you endure, you will reign. You can count on it, Timothy. You can count on it. Then he does say, if we deny him, and again, he's not talking here about unbelievers. He's talking to believers. He says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. It's not salvation. It's not losing our salvation. He will deny us that position of responsibility that we lose our reward when we get to the kingdom and we get to eternity. We've talked about that before. Believers can lose their reward. As Paul said to the Corinthians, someone can be saved, but yet as by fire, everything in their life burns up because they did not live a consecrated, dedicated, devoted, and committed life to Christ. And therefore they lived for themselves and they did not live for Christ and they had nothing to show for it. 
Yes, they will be part of the kingdom. But they will not have a great role or responsibility in the kingdom. They will not literally rule or reign in the kingdom. They will not be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is a celebration and reward for those who are faithful. Not just to everyone. And then he says this. I love this. Verse 13. Even if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. Because he can't deny himself. Think about that. Jesus Christ has so identified himself with his people that even when his people turn their back on him at times, even when we are unfaithful, he still remains faithful to even the unfaithful. Because to do so, if he did not remain faithful to the unfaithful, then literally, Paul says, he would be unfaithful even to himself because he literally locks himself in step with every believer. That's an amazing truth to think about. So what Paul here is building on is this whole idea of the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of his word and the trustworthiness of it all. And how it should change our life. It shouldn't be, again, just this information that somehow sits in our head, but literally changes the way you and I live and approach every day of our lives. Which is why then in the rest of this passage sort of before us tonight, Paul now is going to tell Timothy, and so Timothy, don't spend your time on information that doesn't matter. Don't spend your time fighting fights that aren't going to get you anywhere and are of no spiritual benefit. Stay on message. Focus on the Word of God and what is trustworthy and what is reliable and what is dependable and what can change our lives. Don't get caught up in all these other things that so many times either pastors and teachers and other Christians get caught up with each other in and it ends up not really benefiting anybody. Which is why he says in verse 14, remind people of these things. Most of the time, all we need to do is simply continue to be reminded of the things we already know. Most of the time, I'm never sharing something that you all have never heard before. Most of the time, all I'm doing is just reminding all of us of things that we already know, but somehow maybe they've sort of drifted a little bit. And, and, oh yeah, that's right. Come back to that. Remind people of these things and solemnly charge them before the Lord not to wrangle over words. Don't nitpick over stuff that's not going to matter. He says, this is of no benefit. Christians fighting and, and, and who's right and who's wrong about things that don't really matter. In fact, he said it just brings ruin on those who listen even. Not even those who are engaged, but those who are standing around listening to Christians argue about things that really aren't in the long run ever going to matter a million years from now. In fact, very interesting, the word ruin there in the Greek language, it's only used one other time in the New Testament. And it's used to describe the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in the New Testament when it's referred to. It's a word that could also be translated destruction. It just brings destruction. It, like Paul said, it doesn't benefit. You and I have to be careful to focus and lock in on what really matters in our life, what really is going to build us up, what's really going to give us security and stability, and give others that as well, and not get caught up. You know, sometimes 
Christians are more concerned about being right than promoting the Word of God. And that's what Paul is reminding this young pastor of, Timothy. Don't wrangle over words and get caught up in in arguments and debates and stuff that really is not going to further along the spiritual depth and growth of your people. Instead, he says in verse 15, make every effort to present yourself before God as a proven worker who does not need to be ashamed teaching the message of truth accurately. Now, yes, this verse is obviously and very specifically addressed to a pastor who is a teacher of the Word. And yes, this verse has a lot to say to someone like myself. I need to make sure, because I carry a very heavy responsibility, that I, to you, am teaching the Word of God accurately. Which implies that there are many people that don't teach the Word accurately or teach it inaccurately which is why Paul says before you and I can teach it accurately or share it accurately with others or even share the right interpretation of scripture with others it behooves all of us verse 15 to make every effort to make sure that when we connect with the word of God that we are exerting ourselves and giving the effort necessary to come to the right conclusion To come to a right interpretation. Sort of like I was sharing Sunday, how in regards to the Sabbath day, how man had added to the Sabbath and taken taken the intent and purpose of the Sabbath that God had given and so twisted it and turned it into into a burden rather than a blessing. They did not handle the word accurately. And so Paul is charging all of us We all are workers for the Lord. At least we should be. All of us should be serving the Lord and working. And he's saying, we need to give due diligence. That's what the word means in the Greek language. Make every effort. Exert oneself. Be diligent. Be devoted. Be consecrated. Be committed. Be all in. I'll share a favorite verse of mine out of the New Testament that falls in line with this. In the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 23, listen to this, listen to this verse. This is to all Christians now. Whatever you are doing, that covers pretty much everything, right? Whatever you are doing, work at it with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not for people. Colossians 3, 23. That goes along with make every effort. Be enthusiastic. Give your all. This is the challenge I think before us even, a part of the challenge before us as a church this coming year. And you're going to hear this a lot. (laughs) I believe that God wants all of us to sort of ask ourselves, are we really all in? Are we really committed and consecrated and devoted? Are we really putting forth effort here? Or are we just sort of like 
given half. Are we enthusiastic? Because to Paul, and and I think to God, if, if we can't be enthusiastic about what we're doing for the Lord, then why are we doing it? And should we be doing it? If I can't really get excited and enthusiastic and passionate about it, because I'm serving the Lord, whatever I'm doing, in everything. And if I can't get excited and enthusiastic about serving the Lord and being an example and model for others as well, then what can I get enthusiastic, excited, and passionate about? Make every effort. To present yourself before God as a proven worker. It means one who has been tested and passed the test. That's what it means to be proven. God will put His servants to the test. It's it's that refining fire, if you will. And and that's the, the, the picture here. That like in Paul's day, metals and things were put through a fire to test them to see what kind of you know, impurities and, and how, how strong and pure were the, were the things. And Paul is saying, I want to so devote myself to the work that God has given me that I will be able to pass that test and pass that fire and have something to show for my life of service to God. So that I don't stand before the Lord ashamed that I was a shoddy workman That what I did with my life was just basically just enough to get by. Just enough to make appearances. But not really give my all for the Lord. And to God's people as well. And Paul said, that's that's when the resurrection really grabs a hold of our life. That is the transformational reality of the resurrection that we all participate in. When we get to that place like Paul where it totally reorients my life and my perspective, especially when it comes to trials and suffering and all of that. I just look at things differently, Paul said. I'm never the victim. I'm always the victor no matter what I face. Even if I'm facing death, which Paul was. And I realize what's most important. And what's most important are the things that God has said. Because they're really, at the end of the day, what's really trustworthy and reliable and dependable. So Paul said, I'm going to live my life to absorb and to soak up the message and revelation of God because it's what really matters most. And Timothy, in your church, that's what you need to focus on. Don't focus on your opinions and winning arguments and debates and all that. You teach your people the Word of God. And you make sure that that's what they focus on as well. So that all of us can come to an accurate understanding of what God has said and what God has revealed. Because if not, if we come to a wrong conclusion about the Word of God, if we come to a wrong interpretation, it can cause so many problems. And so in closing, I'll share these verses and then we'll come back and pick it up in a couple weeks. 
Where Paul says in verse 16, avoid profane chatter because those occupied with it will stray further and further into ungodliness. It's not even a matter of knowing not to do good or whatever. They actually, it actually leads them into a life that is dishonoring to God. And their message that's not an accurate message will spread its infection like gangrene. Gangrene physically is a decay of bodily tissue because for some reason or another, the blood flow is restricted to that area and so the tissue decays. And Paul is saying, spiritually speaking, when we accept wrong messages that are not accurate messages from God, when we teach wrong doctrine to people, it's this infectious disease that we are spreading and it causes decay. It doesn't build people up. It doesn't grow them. It doesn't transform them. It doesn't give them hope. And that's why we've all got to be careful that we are getting it right, even for us. Because if not, our spiritual life will end in decay, just like gangrene does. And then Paul, he calls out two people. I mean, he calls these two guys out, he names them. Can you imagine a pastor doing that today? Yeah, and these two guys in our church, let me tell you, you know, that's what Paul did. He said, Hymenaeus and Philetus are in this group. They're spreading a bad, diseased message. And they have strayed from the truth. And by saying that the resurrection has already occurred, not Jesus' resurrection, they're saying that there really is no future resurrection for believers to look forward to, that it's just spiritual. And notice what Paul says when people buy into that wrong message. He says they are undermining some people's faith. Wow. Literally subverting people's faith. Literally pulling, if you will, the foundation out from them to where they have no solid foundation. They have no stability. They're not basing their life on what is trustworthy and what is reliable and what is dependable. Which takes me back to the very words of Jesus where didn't Jesus say, if you believe these words of mine and you do them, you'll be like the person that builds his house on a rock. And even when the storms come, your house will stand. Because what I'm telling you is trustworthy. And if you believe it and you live it and you base your life on it, it doesn't matter what storms come into your life, you will stand up to it. This is the message that Paul so wanted this young man to get into his heart so that it could change his very outlook on life. And God wanted me to share this message with you tonight as he has shared this with me so that God could begin to change my outlook as well. I'll leave you with this. I think I've shared this before at the Oasis. I had a mentor, spiritual mentor, a long time ago share this with me and I've never forgotten it. It's very easy to remember. He said, our attitude, not our aptitude, determines our altitude. And that is so true. In my life, I got to tell you, it's our attitude that we face every day with that really determines our attitude, not our aptitude. And that's what Paul is saying here. The truth of God can change and transform our attitude every day. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight 
that the truth that you have given us that is so trustworthy isn't just a bunch of historical facts. It is transformational reality that makes a difference every day of our life. We literally live out this truth every day, or we can. And so God, I pray tonight that all of us have been reminded of the trustworthiness of your word. And how God, our whole life can look different if we simply rest and trust and believe and rely and depend on your word. Because God, no matter what happens to us, no matter what circumstances or suffering or trials we go through, God, we are never, we never have to be a victim. We are always more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are always victorious in Jesus Christ. So God, help us to keep that at the forefront of our thinking each and every day. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.